1: It isn't the holidays without a little family drama, and within Idaho's Republican Party, that family infighting is already playing out months before the May primary election. I'm Melissa Davlin, Idaho Reports starts now. Hello, and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News and Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press joined me to discuss early childhood education and the latest election news. But first, on Monday, the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare announced it has deactivated crisis standards of care in six of the state's seven health districts due to declining COVID hospitalizations and test positivity rates. Only the Panhandle Health District in North Idaho remains under crisis standards of care. During a Monday, Media briefing, Dr. Jim Souza, chief physician executive for St. Luke's Health System, said the state is still at risk for future surges.
2: I think all you need to do is look to North Idaho to have insight into how volatile the situation uh, remains. Or you could look at what's coming out of Western Europe, uh, the Eastern seaboard, or now some of these hot spots like Michigan with early influenza outbreaks. To be clear, we're still in a contingency position. We are very busy. It's it's not mission accomplished. Instead, this is a moment, we think, where we can collect ourselves, reflect on uh, the innovations that we implemented, the things that we've learned, and pivot looking forward to how we're going to stop history from repeating itself by making wise decisions.
1: Sousa emphasized that those wise decisions include getting vaccinated. We'll have more later in the program. On November 30th, Gerald Pizzuto Jr., who is on Idaho's death row, faces a commutation hearing. The Commission of Pardons and Parole is scheduled to hear arguments on whether to recommend Pizzuto's sentence be changed to life in prison. The commission will issue the recommendation to the governor. Idaho Reports will keep you updated on that next week. On Monday, the Idaho Supreme Court said that two parents who sued over West Ada School District's fees for full day kindergarten do have standing in that lawsuit and remanded the case back to district court. The ruling was just on standing, not on the constitutionality of those fees, though the court did state, quote, in essence, the parents are contending and have made at least a facial showing that West Ada is running two separate but unequal kindergarten programs, a full day program for those who can't afford it and a half-day program for those who cannot." Early childhood education, whether it's full-day kindergarten or universal pre-K, has long been a point of controversy in Idaho. In 2018, Idaho reports visited the Basin School District in Idaho City to see its public preschool program and learn about the long-term benefits.
3: We are a rural district that is quite large. The elementary school is just under 200 district-wide. We are just under 400 students.
4: Baby bears are called cubs.
0: We have a universal preschool, which means anyone in our district can attend, it's not just for special ed. So it sets
3: it apart from other districts. The first year of implementation was the first year I was here at Basin in 1999. I was teaching here uh, as a reading interventionalist and that was the first year of the IRI. I was the one giving the IRI and I was very um, surprised at how few of the students passed the IRI that first year. A local judge was starting
0: to notice that the kids that she was seeing come through her court system uh, couldn't read, and she became very concerned. She did some research, found out that literacy was one of the main issues with the kids coming through a court, right? So she uh, found out that preschool is probably the best um, antidote.
1: The Basin School District sought a number of funding sources like grants and local levies to start its preschool program and keep it going.
3: We have a diverse population in um, when we look at socioeconomic status um, and what families were also very spread out. So the families that were closer to Boise might have more access to preschool options or um, programming for their young children at home. This, the preschool program helped level that playing field for some of our students that may not have those same experiences.
1: Because of the nature of the Boise Basin economy, a large number of families move in and out of the community. Still, the district was able to track those students who started in preschool with the Basin School District and stayed in the district during their entire K through 12 education. Of those preschool students, not a single one dropped out. The go-on rate averages 65% among that group, and those who didn't go on to school entered the workforce immediately with the goal of getting technical certification later. But there are other advantages.
3: More importantly, I would say, we have seen a difference in social skills. Those students are able to problem solve better, they get along with others. Um, Just routines within school, you can tell immediately the first day of school, going through the cafeteria line, which students were in preschool and which students were not in preschool um, because they're just familiar with the routines, they're familiar with um, transitions, they're familiar with getting along with other students.
0: We haven't had any kids that have gone through the preschool who by the time they're in middle school, or on behavior plans at all. Zero, um, all the way through. That's a huge difference for someone who's in charge of special education, right? They, they get socialization better. They, they understand how to make connections, um, work cooperatively in a classroom.
1: Though Idaho City Schools have seen success with their preschool program, the district doesn't exist in a bubble. When other students move in who haven't had pre-K education, it affects the entire class.
3: Because we do get a number of students that transfer in, and we don't know, some of them may have had a preschool program, some of them may have been um, exposed to something, some have not. And so to be able to have a universal preschool program throughout the state, would be a significant advantage because we would be able to ensure that more of those students coming into kindergarten have had those experiences that would better prepare them and set the foundation for learning because it's not just about letters and numbers, it's so much more than that. And a
1: universal pre-K program would take away the stress of renewing a levy every
3: two years. It is always a worry and every two years we're going back to the community and asking um, for their support. Um, they have been very supportive, but it is always a worry.
1: Joining me today for the pundits is Kevin Richard from Idaho Education News and Betsy Russell with the Idaho Press. Kevin, you've been covering early childhood education, whether it's pre-K or full day kindergarten for a very long time now. Mm-hmm. I. There's not really any debate about the benefits of these programs at this point.
4: Right, and listening to that segment, we're hearing some of the same evergreen themes that we've heard about early education for years that still hold true. The question of how are you gonna pay for it? How are you gonna fund it and sustain it long term? And juxtaposed against the community support for it, whether we're talking about the education community or the business community, there's, pretty widespread support for early education in whatever form a district can figure out how to provide it.
1: But that's the question, is how is the district going to provide it? Mm -hmm. Betsy, what are these legislative conversations been like about full-day kindergarten and universal pre-K in the state?
5: Well, full-day kindergarten was actually proposed through legislation last year, bipartisan legislation, and it, it really looks like it is on a track toward being very seriously considered by the legislature. The State Board of Education has endorsed it. The state superintendent of schools has proposed funding it in her budget request, and if the state is ever going to make this Move toward funding full-day kindergarten, now is pretty much the time when there's this huge budget surplus and the state actually has the flexibility to think about possibly making some ongoing changes in what it funds. But the, the interesting thing about kindergarten right now in Idaho is that it's not mandatory and most districts offer half day and some full day, but it is a spotty patchwork all over the state as to what's offered where, at which school, even within districts, some districts charge fees, some don't, some charge on a sliding scale, Um, some run supplemental levies to pay for it. There's no guarantee anywhere that it's gonna be provided unless the legislature funds it.
4: And I think that funding patchwork is part of the reason why you've got legislators talking about funding this at the state level. When you have lawmakers like Carl Crabtree and Judy Boyle talking about all day kindergarten, a big reason they're talking about it is to try to get this cost off of supplemental levies, off of the property tax rolls and come up with some other way to pay for it, as opposed to these short term levies that that force patrons to pay out of the property tax, which we know is the most unpopular tax in Idaho.
1: So let's talk a little bit about this West Ada sure. lawsuit. And again, th- this wasn't about the constitutionality of charging fees, whether on a sliding scale or a flat rate, it was just on standing at this point. Uh, Kevin, what did it say?
4: Well, it, it said basically that uh, this case has to go back to the district court so the district court can try to figure out the merits of the case about whether these student fees for kindergarten, are constitutional or not. Uh, you know, as, we, as I read the ruling, as I read the decision on Monday, the Supreme Court really took pains to say that they are not talking at this point about the merits of the constitutional argument that student fees are unconstitutional. And we've had this debate about student fees and the constitutionality applied to a lot of different educational programs. Uh, in this case, we're talking about West Ada, and we're talking about charging parents fees for that extra half a day of kindergarten that isn't covered by the state.
5: And also significant, I think, about the Supreme Court ruling, although standing is kind of an obscure issue that maybe the layperson doesn't deal with a lot, is that this suit was essentially dismissed completely at the lower court level for lack of standing. And what the Supreme Court said is there are two different issues here. There's economic damage to the parents who sued, and then there's educational damage to their kids who they wanted to get a certain level of schooling that they didn't get. And the lower court dismissed both because under economic damage, it was clear that the parents who sued hadn't actually paid the fees. The full day kindergarten wasn't offered at their school. But what the high court said was the educational damage claim, that does raise issues that should be explored on their merits because, if you are saying that certain people in idaho get a certain level of education for their kids but if they can pay if they're wealthier they get more that would raise constitutional implications and that's exactly what the west state school district does in its in its full day kindergarten fee structure it's a flat fee so those who can afford to pay can get it those who can't cannot
4: and it's a very interesting legal case that looms here because you have the constitutional language regarding education that we talk about all the time, the constitutional mandate on free, common, uniform public education. But as Betsy mentioned earlier, we have state statute that says that kindergarten is optional. So does Constitution Trump statute in this case, how would this play out in a court? Basically, the Supreme Court said, district court, you've got to go back and sort this out.
1: And that doesn't even touch on pre-K. We're talking kindergarteners, five-year-olds, but you know what we saw in Idaho City in the Basin School District was how beneficial those pre-K programs were for, for those younger kids who hadn't even entered kindergarten yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the legislative discussions like around pre-K?
4: You know, it's like it's two different topics. Even though it's early education and you have education and business leaders saying, we need early education in whatever form we can get in multiple forms, you have, I think there's an excellent chance that an all day kindergarten bill will become law next year because of all the reasons Betsy mentioned. There's a lot of support behind it and there's a lot of money available to make this happen. You get into pre-K, it becomes a very visceral conversation. I also saw in March when the House voted to reject a six million dollar a year federal grant. It wasn't state dollars; it was federal money. I, I don't see pre-K necessarily going very far in the legislature next year, but I do think that uh, all-day kindergarten. If I had to bet right now, I think an all-day kindergarten bill passes. And that
1: was a federal grant that had the support of Idaho's Republican senators, U.S.
4: senators, the both Risch and Crapo. Uh, again. And yet
5: we saw a real demonizing of it in the House, not in the Senate, just in the House, of, of, of really the entire idea of pre-K that somehow this was was a uh, a big, scary, awful thing where someone's trying to get to your little kids when that's really not necessarily reflected in what the grant and the legislation they were considering. And next year, of course, is an election year and
1: whether we like it or not, that always shapes discussion around legislation. And let's talk a little bit about some of this election drama that has been playing out. Um, Let's start with the legislature. We talked a couple weeks ago about how with the uh, map that made it to the Secretary of State's office that has a couple different legal challenges now, there were several incumbents who were redistricted together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of those incumbent versus incumbent races are already starting to sort themselves out because some of those lawmakers are either retiring or have declared for other office, Kevin.
4: Well, yeah, I think we've got a long way to go to sort a lot of this out because we've got some contested races in the House that haven't really sorted themselves out. But as as Betsy reported a few days ago, Patty Ann Lodge, the senior member of the state Senate, has decided that she's not going to seek re-election. And that's one of those districts where you had two sitting senators, uh, Lodge and Senator Todd Lakey. But we have a lot of other ones still we have. You know, Jim Rice and Abby Lee in the same district. We have Scott Grow and Stephen Thane, the chairman of the Education Committee, in the same district. Uh, we have one in North Central Idaho with Carl Crabtree and Dan Johnson, who's now the mayor of Lewiston. So we'll see how all that sorts out. And you've got these, you know, log jams in the House that could translate into some of these House members looking at a Senate seat. A lot to work out yet.
5: That's right. I mean, there are a couple of House districts of the new districts on this map, should it withstand the legal challenges, that have four House incumbents and only two seats, and there are a few more that have three. And so something has to give there. And it hasn't really all shaken out yet, but I think that that was a definite undercurrent of the reconvened legislative session. I could hear legislators sitting behind me in committee rooms saying, oh, what's so-and-so going to do? Oh, what are you going to do? And I'm not sure that's all been sorted out yet.
1: Well, I know 10 years ago, there were so many people who opted to either retire or run for different offices instead of facing mm-hmm. one of their colleagues. And at, at the end of the day, you only had two incumbents who were running against each other, and that was that's then right. Senator Tim Corder and Senator Burt Brackett. Um, I I'm thinking we might have some more races than we saw 10 years ago, if this map stands.
5: I think that's possible, I mean, there have been others, as you mentioned, announcing for higher office. For example, Representative Dorothy Moon is running for Secretary of State, rather than seek re-election, otherwise she would be in a district with four House incumbents. And so we could see some of that, but yes, I do think we will see some contests with people running against each other. Um, Representatives Moyle, Skog, and Nichols are in the same district. I haven't talked to all three yet, but Representative Moyle told me, bring it on, I'm running for the House. And I have had several um, legislators tell me, so we run against each other.
4: Think about a district like District 35, which is in that southeast corner of the state. You have four House members in that same district, but you also have a sitting senator who I would imagine is probably not going anywhere. So there's no clear path for any of those four House members to to move into the Senate. I mean, that's a a textbook logjam.
1: We also have uh, Representative Greg Cheney, who has decided to run for the Senate instead of running for his house seat in that's his right. new district yeah and that's
5: that's a case where the senate seat in his new district will be open there's no incumbent and i did talk to him about that and he said you know that's a that's an opportunity and i thought it was a good fit for me and if you're ever going to make that change, this is the time. Also, Representative Ben Adams has announced that he's going to run for the open Senate seat in his district. He's a freshman. He's the only incumbent left in that district, I believe, if I'm keeping them all straight here. So. Um, and the other thing this plan did was create a ton of open seats in both the House and the Senate all around the state. So. Uh, in addition to forcing incumbents to face off, we may see a lot of new people brought into the legislature as a result of this.
1: Now you realize that if the court throws out this map, we are going to have to do all of this all over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. <laughs> Look <Yeah>. up everyone's <laughs> addresses. Yeah. Well, it's what, exactly. what we do.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's what we did 10 years ago. So, you know, Let's talk about some of these statewide races because in the past couple of weeks, there have been some really, really interesting moves. Um, Raul Labrador and Lawrence Wasden both announced campaigns for attorney general. Um, joining Art McComber, who had announced that he was going to challenge Wasden, um several months before. Uh, that That's going to be an interesting race. It's
4: going to be a very interesting race, and, you know, it really underscores, you know, people talk about how this next primary is this primary, you know, this battle for the soul of the Republican Party is the phrase that keeps getting used. Well, let's put that into personal terms. If you're conservatives, you're looking at this ticket and you're thinking, do we have a chance to take out Brad Little, Scott Bedke, Lawrence Wasden, and Mike Simpson? And if you're a moderate Republican, are you looking at it and saying, we have a chance to take out and maybe preempt the political careers of Janice McGeehan, Priscilla Giddings, Ryan Smith, Dorothy Moon, the list goes on. I mean, that's, that's why it's a battle for the soul of the Republican Party. I mean, and I think the Attorney General's race may be the most interesting of the two because you have two veteran politicos, you know, And in a four-person race, I mean, it's a fascinating, fascinating race. I think another
5: really interesting race is Lieutenant Governor. It's not Mm -hmm. the most powerful position in our state government, but we did have a three-way race shaping up in the Republican primary. And this past week, uh, former Representative Luke Malik dropped out and endorsed Scott Begkey. So now that's a two-way race between Scott Begkey and Priscilla Giddings, once again, two very clear different factions of the Idaho Republican Party. Which one will come out on top in a head-to-head statewide and, and race? I think there's
4: a little bit of animosity between Scott Bedke and Priscilla Giddings.
5: Oh, yeah. Just a
1: I've noticed. Just a i noticed, you right. Just a touch. Really, let's talk about Luke Malik dropping out because mm-hmm. he had a number of high-profile endorsements in Idaho political land. I mean, we're talking former House Speaker Bruce Newcomb, we're talking former Joint Budget Chairwoman Maxine Bell had donated to his campaign. Um, he was running hard, he was the first one to announce. And so for him to drop out at this point and then wholeheartedly endorse his, his opponent, is what does that say to you, Kevin?
4: Well, first of all, it's just a very sudden announcement because, as you said, I mean, you know, Malik had been campaigning really hard for this race and had been campaigning now for about a year. So for him to announce it and to announce it the way he did on Sunday night over social media was, you know, it was very surprising. I mean, I'm looking at my Twitter feed and it's like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> n- news actually happened here. And, and it really is news. And it really does set up this, you know, head to head battle between you know, the moderate wing of the Repo- Republican Party and the hardline conservative wing.
5: And it was surprising to me as well because Luke Malik had been quite adamant early on that he was not going to do this. He was not gonna bow out and make way for others. But he got into this race six months before either of the other two candidates did. And that was when he rolled up the endorsements and um, a lot of funding and the race changed once it became a three-way race with two other high profile candidates. And notably in his announcement, he didn't really say I'm withdrawing. He said he's deferring it for a future election cycle and he's still interested in running. Just not this year.
1: And and I have to say, Representative Priscilla Giddings is running hard for this seat, too. She is Mm -hmm. actively campaigning around the state. Uh, And and I think that what we saw during the reconvened legislative session in mid-November was very much campaigning on the House floor, you know, Mm -hmm. when she was addressing not just her colleagues, she even said, nothing I say is going to change your vote here. She wasn't addressing her colleagues, she was addressing the people of Idaho in that moment.
4: Her debate, that was her moment to, you know, to make her case not just, I mean, her colleagues. I mean, that that vote was pretty much sealed. But it was her chance to make her case to her constituents, her potential constituents, potential voters. I mean, that was, you you know, there were campaign overtones on both sides of this.
1: You know, as we talk about these other crowded primaries, might we see more people dropping out and deferring to other candidates who are similarly politically aligned? Or are we going to see what we did in 2018 where we have five or six way primaries? and people winning that primary with you know
5: 27% of the vote. I think it really depends on the race and it depends on the candidates. Certainly in the governor's race, we have a plethora of candidates on the Republican side and none of them have given any sign that they're gonna back out. So I think we are in for a multi-way primary there. And, and sometimes those can be the most exciting election years. Well, that's
4: <laughs> well, just what we saw earlier this month with Dorothy Moon announcing for Secretary of State. I mean, on paper, it seems like Moon and Mary Sousa are going after the same constituency within the Republican primary. But Moon decided to jump into that race. We're several months away from the the filing period, so who knows what direction this is going to go.
5: And of course, that now is a four-way race because we already had Phil McGrain and Chad Houck, the current Chief Deputy Secretary of State, as announced candidates in that race, along with Mary Sousa. So, So there's another crowded primary race.
1: Can't wait! It's going to be good. <laughs> how how are these elections going to shape debates in the twenty twenty two legislative session? We already you know, saw a hint of how this might go in during that mid November reconvened session oh, between COVID mitigation efforts and the elections looming. What are what are you going to be keeping your eye on, Kevin?
4: I'm going to watch for a lot of the same bills that we saw in that short session. I mean, just because we had 36 bills introduced and none of them passed doesn't mean that these ideas aren't going to, aren't going to come back. And especially if... The authors of these bills see these as uh, winning issues that they can take back to their districts. I, I think we're gonna see a lot of these bills come back with a lot of political overtones to the debate.
5: Absolutely, and and election year sessions in Idaho, in the Idaho legislature are notorious for um, hot button issues being brought up. Things that maybe won't even change much as far as the law, but will give um, incumbent slash candidates a chance to go on the record and appeal to their base or to hold the people they're gonna run against um, to a record that they think won't appeal to their base. And certainly the COVID bills are are in that category. So are traditionally those bills have been guns and abortion and who knows what all else, but it's the same legislature that we have now (laughs) looking ahead to that election when there's gonna be big change. And that will be very clear to them as they conduct themselves through that session.
1: We have about two and a half minutes left, and thankfully we are on a downside, a downward trajectory with COVID cases. Uh, This week, Idaho deactivated crisis standards of care in six of the seven health districts, but also, you know, we're hearing from public health officials and hospital officials that we're not out of the woods yet, that we need to start thinking about this as potentially an endemic disease. Um, You know, what's the picture looking like for schools and how might that shape public policy discussions?
4: Well, I think what you're seeing with schools, we saw it uh, just in the past few days with the West Ada School District going away from its mask mandate. It'll uh, have, you know, it'll have no mandate when kids go back into school next week. I think you're seeing that, but at the same time, you look at the numbers and you listen to the health officials talk about the numbers, you're hearing Two things you're hearing: yes, things are improving. Uh, case numbers, positivity, uh, you know, test rates, hospitalizations—all these uh, metrics that we watch so closely are improving. But all of them are higher than health officials really want to see them. And you know, one of the that looms is that you know we're seeing COVID case numbers increasing across much of the country. You know, we were listening Tuesday to the AARP uh, conference call. You know, Health and Welfare Director Dave Jepson talked about how case numbers are increasing in 28 states. Idaho isn't one of them right now, but that tells you that this virus continues to kind of ebb and flow and come in waves, uh, which suggests you know that you know, this wave that we're just seemingly coming out of might not be the last.
5: Yeah, and Betsy, what are you gonna be watching for? Well, I think that, that um, COVID has certainly had an impact on Idaho politics. Imagine what Idaho politics would be like right now Without for COVID, without COVID, but for COVID, but it is here and is continued to. It is going to continue to influence our politics in Idaho.
1: You know, after last week's reconvened session, do you? I we didn't hear a lot about crisis standards of care in those discussions. It was like a, a completely different debate than what public health officials are having. Uh, what do you expect to see specifically with
5: COVID during that twenty twenty two session? I think it will be front and center. Um, even if it has abated, even if the pandemic has abated, because it has arro- it has become such a political issue that the political undertones and overtones will be debated and will be legislated.
1: All right, Betsy Russell with the Idaho Press, Kevin Richert with Idaho Education News. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for watching. Be sure to follow us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Get all of the links to our work in your inbox every Friday. We'll see you next week.